0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, Richard. Wave your hand, Richard. Richard, I have to repent of something. Richard um, and Melissa had a baby about one month ago. At, during the service and because baby abigail and as a result i never announced it on a sunday morning and every sunday morning i look at you and i say we ha- they they i forgot to announce it so richard and melissa had baby abigail <laughs> and she was five pounds eight ounces? ounces five pounds nine ounces and she is gorgeous so congratulations. And Melissa, I think she's on the video and the nursing mother's room. Sorry, <laughs> but better late than never. Okay, so I just do want to emphasize this uh, advertisement we have. We stuck it right in uh, the bulletin. Uh, God has a heart for prayer. Actually, the first verse we'll be in t- today is Jesus Praying alone. And Luke emphasizes that more than any other gospel writer. It's at the home of uh, Lysanne and Tiara. Just show up, even if it's for a half hour. Uh, We are going to be there from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Just seeking after the Lord in prayer, discovering his heart and his heart for us. It's going to be a wonderful time. Okay, if you can rise for the reading of God's word, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in the book of Luke, going through Luke, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The book of Luke. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. the book of Luke. Verse 18. So here you have it, Jesus praying, and it happened as he, Jesus, was alone praying. Oop, chapter (laughs) 9. Chapter 9, thank you. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. Others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, and so now he's going to describe who he really is. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's pray. Lord, that is a, a, a mouthful for us or an earful. We want to... It's it's a heavy saying, Lord. We want to understand it. We know that it's your best for us, Lord. We know that every word we read in the word is about your best for us. And, Lord, we just agree and confess and declare to a man, to a woman, that your best for us is better than our best for us. We know that. So we seek after that this morning, Lord. We know you're faithful to reveal your heart to us. Unplug our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, Lord, to what your spirit is telling us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 18 says, and it happened as he was alone praying. And we didn't plan the all-day prayer because we knew that verse was coming up. But here we see yet another reference to Jesus (laughs) praying. And it happened as he was alone praying. Luke emphasizes more than any other gospel writer, the frequency that Jesus prayed. His life was all about prayer, talking to his father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 20 says of Jesus that though he was equal with God, he did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to. But he made himself nothing, became a servant, and took on the appearance, the form, the flesh of man. So although he willingly left heaven and came to earth, you better believe that he wanted every bit of heaven while he was on the earth. What's wants the same thing for us, by the way. Every bit of heaven that we can get. Luke repeatedly refers to Jesus praying. This is the fourth of, the, fourth of seven times Luke mentions Jesus alone pr- praying. We've already seen a couple times where he's been praying all night. Prayed all night. And that was a good thing. It wasn't like this ascetic, hard thing. It's what he desired, just what he wanted. Complete dependence on his Father. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5 says we're to pray without ceasing. Jesus is our example of that. So Jesus is alone praying. Anytime you see Jesus praying, what I do is, okay, what happens right after this? What happens right after he prays? Because there, there's, there's no doubt there's a connection. Well, it says that his disciples came to him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds Say that I am. The crowds. Crowds. The crowds. At this point in his ministry, Jesus was completely surrounded by crowds. They were following him wherever he went. Earlier in the chapter, we saw Jesus taking his disciples to a deserted place to try to get them a rest. They had been out. He had sent out the twelve. Told them to cast out demons, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. They came back exhausted, no doubt. He took them to a deserted place, but he was—they were soon found out, and it, the deserted place very soon became a very populated place. The crowds came. The crowds. Jesus gets alone with them and says, "So anyway, who do these people? Who do the crowds say that I am?" So they answered, verse 19, and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so some people thought that he had come back, like a ghost or something, like a superstitious thing. Other people thought Elijah. Elijah actually never died in the Old Testament. And they were thinking that he uh, had come, some people thought he had come back, others one of the old prophets come back from the dead. Well, they were all wrong. The crowds were wrong. Rest assured, the crowds will always get it wrong who Jesus is. It's no different today. And I was, as I was preparing this, I thought about that the crowds, the crowds following Jesus, they didn't know who He was. They knew some facts about him. They knew he was the son of a carpenter from Nazareth, but they didn't know who he was, really. That's that's a really sobering fact for me. Sobering. That thousands upon thousands of people are following Jesus, men and women, if you went up to one of them. What are you doing? I'm following Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I guess that makes me a follower of Jesus. And there were thousands of them and they didn't know who Jesus was. Now, in many parts of the world, there are not crowds following Jesus. That cannot be said of the United States that it's, crowds don't follow Jesus. In this country, they do follow Jesus. Maybe not as much here in New England, but you do, in fact, have crowds following Jesus, which makes these verses now all the more pertinent to our lives and it is becoming increasingly clear that the crowds in the United States of America do not know who they are following the crowds following Jesus in the United States of America it's becoming increasingly clear They, they do not know who they're following Jesus says in verse eight, "Who do the crowd say say I, I say that I am?" Not because he didn't know; he knew exactly who they thought he was. Jesus is God; he's all knowing. But he's been praying in it, and and he realizes the time has come to teach his disciples who he is, and he's asking them, "Who do the crowd say I am?" It's part of a lesson he's going to be giving them now. Who do the crowd say I am? Again, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the old prophets, uh, risen from the dead. Verse twenty, and he said to them but then he said to them. But who do you say that I am? Are you one of the crowd? <laughs> who do you say that I am? And the question for you this morning now, really, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say? Really? Who do you say that Jesus is? In verse twenty, Jesus asks that question. The apostle Peter answers the question. The end of verse twenty and says, "You're the Christ of God." The Christ of God, which means the Messiah, which means the promised Messiah, the one who God promised to send into the world to save Israel and to save the world. In verse uh, 21, it says that Jesus strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, "Because," or you could say, because... I, the son of man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now that verse, verse uh, 21, can be kind of confusing. Why? Why, 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 why would Jesus tell them to tell no one that he's the Messiah? It's one of the reasons it's confusing, by the way, that Jesus himself has already done that. He did it in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He's very clear to her that he was the Messiah. In Luke chapter 7, we've already seen that he was very open. And it wasn't just his 12 disciples, he was very open, telling them that he was the Messiah. So why is he now saying don't tell anyone? Well, again, notice the answers in verse 22. It says that he commanded to tell them no one, saying to them, because I must suffer many things. The Son of Man, the Son of Man is is an expression for the Messiah, because the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected and killed and be raised the third day. At this point, most of Israel, including even John the Baptist before he died, we saw this, right, was desperately hoping that the Messiah would become king, that he would become king and defeat the Romans, that in fact, uh, if in the parallel count in John, it actually says that at this point, the crowd tried to make him king by force, if we could put that up. Here's the book of John verse 6 uh, chapter 6 verse 15 same exact point that we're at in in Luke chapter 9 that's why it's good to sort of put the gospels together it says Jesus knowing that the crowd intended to come and make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself kind of kind of strange huh but that's what they wanted to do they wanted to make him king by force. So John chapter 6, it's the equivalent of uh, Luke chapter 9, where we are this morning, Jesus had, uh, right, John chapter 6, like this chapter that we're in, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and and the crowd's like, wow, wow we got to make this guy king by force and so the people were so miserable from the just with their own lives they were so miserable uh, that it colored their view of the old testament prophets which was clear that yes he would become king but uh, but before he would become king he he had to die he had to suffer and so they just wanted the messiah to become king surely they didn't want their king to be crucified. And that's why uh, Jesus says to his disciples, so don't tell anyone who I am, the Messiah, because guess what? Before I become king, the Bible says that I must suffer many things, be rejected and killed, but then I will be raised the third day. He didn't want to stir up the crowd even more. They had already tried to take him by force. Then he goes on to say in verse 23, which is, this is all a continuing thought and it answers the question, who do you say I am? He's answering who he really is. Because as we'll see, the disciples had it all confused as well. He says in verse 23, it says, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Those are heavy words. Those are heavy words, Jesus' words. Now, there's a reason that Jesus gets really heavy with them at this point. You could say he sort of was getting up in their face to get them to Listen. Because not only did the crowds not really know who Jesus was, the disciples didn't either. His own disciples, because they too thought he was going to become king. And guess who was, would be in the king's cabinet? Guess who would be sitting at the table with the king? Guess who would be making all the decisions and have all the perks and all the privileges and all the power and all the pleasure that comes around, comes along with being the king? They would. Look at, skip right ahead to verse 46. And so even though he gives them the stark warning, they don't really get it. In verse 46, it says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. In other words, Who would be sitting at his right hand? Who would be at the cabinet? Who would be the head of the cabinet, the chief of staff? In the parallel account in the book of Matthew... This is the account that most of, of, of us are familiar with. When Jesus took his disciples aside and said, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected and kill. What did the apostle Peter do? He, uh, he, he took Jesus aside and gave him a piece of his mind. He said, no, that's never going to happen to you. You rebuked him. He got up in Jesus' face. This is never going to happen to you. To which Jesus said, what? He said, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. And then he, he went on to say in Matthew 16, the very same thing we read here uh, again. He, 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 after Peter tries to s- tell him, look, you're not going to suffer and die. That's not going to happen to you. He says same thing there in Matthew. He says, I, let me tell you who I really am and, 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 and what my life is really about and what following me is really about. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In other words, you guys, your view of who I am is way out there. It's off. It's completely off. It's twisted. It's messed up bad. So I'm not your ticket to a seaside Roman palace. I'm not your ticket to Roman wine, Roman food, Roman, you know, grapes. Those guys in the toga going... you know, that's what I always think of. The, you know, that's what the disciples are thinking in their own mind. And they're arguing who's going to have the biggest thing of grapes, being the, you know, the chief of staff or whatever. And, and, and so this is, this is his response to that. And they're thinking to themselves, hmm, I just love this following Jesus thing. Man, it's just, what was it? It was just all about their flesh. It was a flesh thing. You follow Jesus for what your flesh can get out of it. In the United States there are crowds, crowds following Jesus and it's all about a feast of the flesh. And again it's becoming increasingly clear that not a few but many in the crowds do not know who it is that they're following. They're following a Jesus that is an imaginary Jesus, a a Jesus who has been formed and fashioned by the American culture, a Jesus who gets one parking space in a four-space garage right alongside the parking space for their career the parking space for their bank account in 401K, the parking space for their upwardly mobile lifestyle. Well, you know, I have to give my kids everything I didn't have. often do you hear that in the church? I have to give my kids everything that I didn't have. Oh, really? <laughs> Who said that? Who told you that? So they parked their, you know, in, in, in one of their par- four uh, uh, their parking spots. They, they, it's the parking spot of the upwardly mobile lifestyle. And people say, yeah, man, I got a parking space for my Jesus. He's my co-pilot. He's your co-pilot. I thought he's supposed to be your pilot. In the United States of America, Jesus is someone you invite in your life to fill that missing something that missing something in your life get 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 Jesus in and just put it there he'll fill that missing something you get a shot of Jesus once a week on Sunday so you can go out and get on with your life and the rest of the week the imaginary Jesus it's just about what Jesus can do for our flesh The crowds—that's who they're following. And I love this section of Luke; these chapters in Luke, he makes it—he he he just drives a a knife, a, a sword right through all this. Where do we begin with all this? Luke chapter six: "Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And yes, that message, that word, is for the United States of America. Anyone who desires to come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, the men and women who follow the imaginary American Jesus, the Jesus they've made up in their own mind, the Jesus of the American culture, they read this verse and they twist the doctrine of grace they pervert it and they say, Oh whew. Thank God for grace. Woof. Woof. Thank God the Bible teaches that God accepts me just the way I am. And they convince themselves that these verses are optional. These verses are for Christians not for everyone but for certain christians for men and women yeah, man they really take the jesus stuff seriously men and women who who want to to take their christianity to another level that they, they want to go be the you know the navy seal Christians, the army ranger Christians, the special forces Christians, the real radical ones, the ones who go out to be missionaries in Africa or who go to downtown crossing, and get up in a box with a, a megaphone or who, who show up at, uh, at, at prayer before uh, work during the week. Woo! Thank you for the doc- doctrine of grace. God help me if he required everyone of that. The problem is, they are following a different Jesus. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said this. You could just as well say it to the church today. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. You happily. Put up with whatever anyone else tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Brothers and sisters, they're preaching a different Jesus. In the United States of America, they're preaching a different Jesus. Jesus accepts me just the way I am. That means I can go out and live however I want. (laughs) Yes, it's true that Jesus accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to want you to stay that way. That's what grace is about too. You've left out the second half of grace. Yes, he accepts you just the way you are. And if you never changed for the rest of your life, he would love you just as much. But don't twist the doctrine of grace. He's so gracious towards you. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are. Thank God I, I look back at the way I was. Thank God the, the Lord didn't just say, Oh, you know, stay the way you are. I accept you just the way you are. No, he wanted so much, something so much better for me. In fact, he loves you so much, he loves me so much, he specifically tells you in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, to renounce the way you are, to take up your cross. And follow him. And this is not just for special forces Christians, Navy SEALs Christians. Jesus says what at the beginning of verse 23? Anyone. Anyone. Jesus says what? uh, How does Jesus begin verse 24? Whoever. In other words, if you are a Christian, this is what you will do. If you do not do this, it means you're not a Christian. It's very simple. It's plain English. If you are a Christian, you will deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And then he says, for whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. Verse 24, actually, in all four Gospels, a version, uh, that verse or something like it, a version of it um, is, is uh, included. But I, I just want to break down uh, verse 23, such an important verse. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So he's telling, he's telling us three, three things. Three things here. Deny himself. If anyone wants to follow Jesus, what do they do? They deny himself, they take up their cross daily, and they follow him. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So number one, deny himself. If you have a pen, underline that word self. It's a compound word, himself. Underline that word self. In the United States, self has been elevated to Godlike status. The problem is, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. But in the United States, first and foremost, you need to take care of yourself. You need to do what's right for yourself. You yourself deserve a break. And because self has been elevated to godlike status in the United States of America, there is an incredible, unprecedented emphasis on self-esteem in this country. There's an obsession with self-esteem. It's crept right into the church. So you hear things in the church like, before you can love others, you got to learn to love yourself. Get in touch with your feelings. Before you're going to be able to love God or love others, you've got to love yourself. That phrase is used so much in churches today. It's one of those expressions that if you took a, a poll of church-going folk before you, so, so before you can love others, you have to love yourself. Is that a verse in the Bible, yes or no? Oh, yeah. Just along with, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, and God helps those who help themselves. All three of them. They're right there. They're all in the Bible. There's a book out there, and I understand it's been sold in many Christian bookstores. Christian bookstores. The title of the book is Codependent No More. Codependent No More. It's by author Melody Beatty. And you know how at the beginning of books, the author dedicates the book to someone like their wife or kids or parents? Well, Beatty dedicates the book to herself. No lie, this is true. sold in many Christian bookstores. This book is dedicated to, actually uses the word, me that's that's you know that that gives you an idea of where this book is, is headed and christian books sort you know and, and and so it says uh, in her book she says that that our preoccupation in this country to god's commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is the problem and her solution is actually it's the title of chapter 11 of her book have a love affair with yourself that's where the book leads up to have a love affair With yourself. Now, listen, I get the spirit behind some of this with guilt and shame in our lives, you know, can can really uh, be a problem. But listen, the Bible teaches, Jesus teaches that loving self or self love is the problem, not the solution to the problem. And, And Jesus died to rescue you from yourself, not to free you for yourself and not not to put you into further bondage to yourself the bible says that the eyes of man are never satisfied the eyes of self are never satisfied worship of self puts us into bondage because self always wants more and more and more and more and it's just more bondage jesus died to free us from that So the disciples had a very wrong view of who Jesus is. He's clearing things up here. He's straightening them out. He's doing that with us this morning. Again, in verse 23, if anyone, not some of you, any of you, desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Again, three things. One is deny himself. We get that up there? Deny himself. The second one is take up his cross daily and the third is follow me. I just want to handle those last two by themselves. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, you know What does that mean? We don't have uh, crosses hanging around uh, the, the streets. Uh, what's up with that? What does it mean that every anyone who desires to follow me has to take up their cross daily and follow me? Well, uh, take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean? Well, actually, it's very simple. Where did Jesus go not too long after he said this? To the cross, and he is saying to his disciples, "If you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me where I'm going. To the cross, so you have to take your own cross. I'm going to have my own. You need to take up your cross, and you need to follow me where I'm going. And it's not to uh, by a Roman seaside palace. It's to Calvary. It's to the cross. He died. He died to what? Supremely to self." He died to self, and in his case, it included a physical death so that others could what? Live. So if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him die to himself daily. That is what Jesus says being a follower of Jesus is. It's not just denying the little things. You know, in my my opinion, churches really messes up mess us up bad when they say things like, you know, uh, during Lent, 40 days, you know, go without chocolate. Or yeah, on Fridays, don't eat fish. Or <laughs> that's the other way around. Don't eat meat, right? Don't eat meat. But, but what does that do? Now, really, just stay, take a step pa- back and, 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 and think what that, the message is or it can result in is give up your chocolate to God, but the rest of your life... Yeah, woof! You can keep to yourself. Oh, thank God it's only chocolate. Thank God it's only meat. And then just that one day a week. The rest of the week, I'm cool. It's about self. There's that word again self. You know, some of you may be thinking, Steve, you always teach on grace. Where's the grace in all of this? sounds like a burden taking up a cross doesn't isn't the cross heavy listen there are gra- there's grace all over these verses these verses are dripping with grace dripping with it why do i say that Well, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. God God is just, and he has declared that the penalty for our sin is death. Self is the very heart and soul of sin. And Jesus paid the penalty that living after self has brought on us. Death and much more. Death not only in eternity, but death. The Bible says that self, sin, sin, self brings death to everything that we do. And Jesus died to pay the penalty for that but then he was raised from the dead to give us victory over it. He did all that by grace, meaning we did nothing to deserve it. We were living like enemies, completely after ourselves. And anytime God tried to draw us to him, we were like pushing him off like an enemy. The Bible says, while we were still enemies, he died for us. And then he rose again, to give, give us the grace, the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit on us, which enables us to do what? To take up our cross and follow Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Light with Christ in us. He carries our, our cross. He carries the cross. He carries the burden. But it is our responsibility, like, every day, not just the chocolate, not just the, not just the meat. Man, every single day we're going to be confronted with, self is going to be crying out, shouting out, me, 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 me. Grab that thing, grab that woman, grab that guy, grab that job, grab that other person, grab this thing that you're coveting, grab it. That thing that you're coveting, grab it. And in America, it's, the Jesus in America, it's like, yeah, man, as long as you get me in one of your parking space, go for it. But no, Jesus is saying, no, there's one parking space in front of a a follower of Christ's life. It's me and everything else is backseat. And I'm the pilot, not you. But he died again. He died and rose again to to give us the grace to to live this amazing life. And he also said something very simple. We we hear it so many times, uh, but we, we... we don't really meditate, reflect on the truth of it. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to love than to get or to be loved. And, and, and he's, he's died and he's rose again from the dead in order to, to, to give us the, the grace to, to live that life where we are blessed. Why are we blessed? Because we're taking up our cross and we're going to the cross. We're going to the cross with him to die every day. We die. Paul says, "We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life will be revealed in our mortal bodies." And that's the that's the life that Jesus has given us, never forgetting what he said in John chapter 10 verse 10, "I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest." And so don't kid yourself. This is the, you want to live life to the fullest? You do just what Jesus is saying here. You take up your cross daily and you follow him. Follow him where? To the cross. Okay, we will pick up next week in verse 26, 25 rather. When we close in prayer and the worship team can come up and if you've been asked to, to pray as well, you can come up now. Father, we just thank you for this this solemn warning to us, Lord, lest we be, lest our faith in you be just poisoned by the world around us. And Lord, we know that you give us these words, these solemn words, these warnings, these encouragements, because you want. To bless us. You want us to live the blessed life. We're just more blessed to give than to receive. We thank you this morning, Lord, that we can open up the, the Bible and get the real truth. And even if it slaps us in the face, sometimes, Lord, praise you for that. That's what we want. And we thank you that you give us the grace, Lord to praise you for the sting that sometimes your word has on, it, uh, on us and, and, and Lord, the, the, the blessedness of going out and just obeying with simple obedience. Lord, we thank you that you give us the grace to simply obey. Lord, if there is anyone here who has never come to your son Jesus, Recognizing that yes, he is the Christ of God. He's the Son of God. And declaring with their mouth that he is Lord. I just pray, Lord, that they would settle that business in their heart this morning. And Father, just for all of us, just pray, Lord, for this week, for this afternoon. That everything we do, Lord, you put a view of the cross as the backdrop of everything we see and do. Your love for us hanging there. But then also the resurrection life, Lord, that you didn't stay on the cross. You died. You rose again. And now you're pouring out new life into us. Lord, that we would view everything through the lenses of those two events, the cross and, and raising from the dead to give us new life. Lord, you know, we know, we believe. It's what the word does. We need the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit just to bring the word, that reality to life. I pray that you would do that among us today and this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can rise. There will be some folks praying here. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never come to him and said, yeah, I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus, we'll have these prayer couples up here. Just come on up and you can pray with them. Or if you have anything else you'd like to pray about, uh, please come up and pray while the worship team uh, begins. Let's worship the Lord.